If you're listening to my voice right now, the odds are very good that you like good food. And I use the word odds advisedly, as you'll see. I often talk on Cheftimony about the importance of community and how whatever our joyous experiences are, music, art, food, what those experiences are really about is people. The experience brings us together, but the joy comes from being with other people. I stand by that statement. But sometimes, sometimes the food is so good. Sometimes it grabs you by the taste buds and by the throat, and it makes you forget everything else in that moment except what you're tasting right there, right then. It makes you sit up a little straighter, give your head a shake, and try to figure out just how in the world the kitchen managed to put that together. I had that experience recently, and if you were a betting person and you considered the odds, would you bet that I had that experience in Las Vegas? Talking to chefs and sometimes lawyers, but always to people who love food. You're listening to the Chef Demoni Podcast. Here's your host, Graham McLennan. Greetings. Thank you for joining me. I am glad we're together again. Chef Demoni, if you're new here, is a podcast about food. I have worked as both a lawyer, which is what I do now, and as a professional cook. And Chef Demoni is just my way of staying in touch with the culinary world now that I'm back to the land of offices. My guests on Cheftimony are chefs, food-loving lawyers, and other characters from the wonderful world of hospitality. And today you're going to hear from a food-loving lawyer who ranks especially high in my books because he is also a Vegas-loving lawyer. This is Tony from the 360 Vegas podcast, and if you don't know 360 Vegas, well then you should check it out. Tony and his co-hosts Karen and Mark produce a usually weekly podcast about what's what in Las Vegas. I've got to say it's an addictive show. You're going to feel like you're in the midst of a conversation among old friends, because you will be. And there's lots more to 360 Vegas than the great conversations. It's got a wonderful series called The Legal Lounge. This is all about interesting legal issues in Las Vegas. And Tony even produces how-to videos for making some incredible cocktails. You're going to hear about one of those in detail today. And, of course, you're going to hear Tony's thoughts on just why Las Vegas is such a great food city. We dive into some of Tony's favorites from the very high end to the much more budget-friendly. You're also going to hear from Karen, one of Tony's co-hosts on 360 Vegas, direct from Las Vegas, where Karen, my wife B, and I sat down for a truly remarkable meal at Lotus of Siam. That's the one that made me sit up a little straighter. And before the meal started, we met with the restaurant CEO, who is also the daughter of the chef and the founder of Lotus of Siam, which really is a Las Vegas institution. Somehow, you know a meal is going to be good when you're there for the first time ever, and there are comments that we have to come back before we had even ordered anything. We have to come back. <laughs> we haven't even had anything. We haven't yet. had. We're coming, had back. We're coming back. We're coming back. All right, we will get to Lotus of Siam. First, join me for my talk with fellow lawyer, fellow food lover, fellow Vegas lover. This is my conversation with Tony from the 360 Vegas podcast.
Well, Tony, I am delighted that you are joining me here on Chef-Demony today. It is always great to connect with another lawyer, and I'm particularly excited because you're another lawyer who loves the culinary world, the world of cocktails, and of course, the best place to explore and enjoy all of that stuff, Las Vegas, Nevada. So thanks for being here. Thanks for being on the show. Graham, it's a pleasure. I I really appreciate you inviting me. Thank you for this uh, opportunity. Absolutely. Now, before we let's let's get some of the work stuff out of the way first, because okay. <laughs> because Chef Demoni does focus on food, but we have this lawyer component. And so before we get into the Las Vegas Strip and downtown and the food scene, I'd love to hear a little bit more about your practice. It sounds like you and I have a, a somewhat of overlap from what I understand. We both worked in private practice. We both now work more in the regulatory sphere. So uh, please tell us what you do. Long story short, I uh, I am an administrative law attorney, which essentially means that I take the laws that are implemented by our state legislature and and I effectuate the actual words that are on the page. So, for example, we do a lot of licensing of of trade individuals. So, think uh, doctors and lawyers. Think of electricians and plumbers. That is, you know, those folks are licensed in the state of Michigan, and the department that I ha- happen to work for is one of the departments that would. Um, that would issue the license or or take licensing sanction against the person if they were to do something in violation of, say, the law or their license or or whatnot within the respective act that was implemented by the state legislature. Do you do you have a system as well where there are colleges or associations outside of the state legislature? So is the lawyers, for example, are, are you self-governing, self-regulating in Michigan? We are. Yes. As a matter of fact, uh, we're it's all done through the Michigan State Bar or the State Bar of Michigan. And I got to always be real careful when I say Michigan State anything, because I don't want people to think the university, uh, which is right. just right down right. the road from from where where I'm, I live. No, no, no. This So the, the, the State Bar of Michigan licenses us and the legislature is essentially said we're going to be hands off you guys regulate yourselves and uh and but we do we do have reciprocity the state legislature has uh allowed for us to to let the state bar kind of work with other states as it relates to licensing reciprocity unfortunately the or fortunately maybe for my wife we do not have reciprocity with the great state of nevada as much as i wish that we did Ah, i have zero interest in sitting for another bar exam and trying to uh get license in nevada if so if i could wave into it uh, and i've actually thought about realistically i haven't actually thought about but I thought it would be fun if I could just wave in from one state to the next until eventually until you get exactly. I, it's just one link on the chain, and I have to make my way across the country waving in from one bar to the next. But uh, so, so it's it's not practical to actually be able to make my way over into Nevada. But I'll tell you what, that's that has been a conversation that has been had in this household with my wife on whether that would be something that would be smart for our uh, wallets and liver. And liver. Yes, fair enough. All sorts of considerations. There. That's right. <laughs> now let's move into the podcasting realm and we're inching toward the food realm. You, of course, are one third of the fantastic 360 Vegas podcast, along with your your co-hosts, Karen and Mark. I love that you guys do a few things with the show. You produce a weekly show on what's up in Las Vegas. And then you've also got some additional content around. Uh, Mark has got this great series on vintage Vegas, the history, the development of the town, the strip. And you do a post or a a segment called Legal Lounge. Tell us, tell us what that's all about. Long story short on that, Graham, is I, as we've kind of alluded to here for a few minutes now, I really, really enjoy the gaming aspect. And I really enjoy, uh, ever since I was a kid, I, I played games uh, with my family, board games in particular, card games. And so it was not much of a leap for me to then just fall in love with the, the gambling side of Vegas. 
and, and we'll talk about this later as well, but there's more to Vegas than just gambling. But for me and my wife, that is really one of the major draws of, of Las Vegas. We just love it. I love the legal side of the gambling as well. The history of it. You know, I'm really intrigued by the fact that it is law that the person who here's a little bit of worthless trivia for some of your for some of your listeners truly whomever hits the spin button on the slot machine whether it was their money or not is the proper uh, uh recipient of whatever the win could be off from that particular slot machine and to wow. me that is absolutely fascinating and we saw this firsthand within the last mm, probably two years i think it was post or excuse me pre-covid but a scenario where i guess some guy was had asked a very attractive young lady to come over and and he'd he, you know he was sitting in his machine he had money in his machine he was not having much luck at his slot machine and so he saw this beautiful young lady come by and he asked her to hit the the spin button and sure enough you know triple seven triple seven triple seven or whatever the hell it was right right comes yeah. up and she wins this ginormous twenty thousand dollar jackpot and they by law had to give it to her and he ends up having to sue her saying listen i was the one playing here it was my money that was in the machine wow and they said we're sorry sir but that's not how it works it's the person who actually hits the button that stuff to me is just unbelievably fascinating. I love that aspect. I, I can take my world of gambling, my, you know, my, 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 my hobby of gambling and my professional world of ga- of legal and, and find a way that those two mesh together. I it just, it, I'm absolutely fascinated by that. I love it. Do we know what happened? Did he actually commence an action? Did he, you know, that's a really anything? good question. I, I don't know. It, it was one of those things where, and good, bad, or otherwise, this is the way the news works, right? It yeah. gives you the sizzle. It never actually gives you the steak. And right. so I, I only heard about it. I don't know how it ended up ever playing itself out, but, but in a situation like that, it was the, the gaming control board said, whoa, you got to take this through the court system. We're doing what we're supposed to do. Again, that's right. an administrative law aspect. And that's yes. part of the reason why I just find it so fascinating. So fascinating. Well, who knows? Maybe this will be a, a future episode if this comes to light. What what happened with the, uh, you know, in the aftermath. Yes, the exactly. Yes, exactly right. Excellent. So, so to answer your question, that is yeah. what, a, what a, a legal lounge segment would be. I will take cases, real life cases that most almost always come out of Nevada. Sometimes they come out of New Jersey. Sometimes they come out of the the Mississippi Biloxi area. You know, obviously the places where there's going to be a nice, rich amount of gaming law to be had. I, I try to, I have a tendency to focus more on the commercial side of it than I do say the Native American tribe side of it, just because they're their own, they truly are their own world. Um, mm-hmm. And so most folk really seem to enjoy the legal lounge segments to hear about because it could be that person. Here's a, here's a real life, one more grim real life scenario yeah. I did. There was a situation where this fellow was at some Las Vegas casino and he was a Kino player and he was having breakfast one day and he knew because of his experience being a Kino player that when games don't run every maybe 60 to 90 seconds, whatever the, whatever the traditional timeline is. It's typically because there has been a big winner and they need to verify the winner. So when he's having his breakfast and he sees that no games had been drawn for maybe a good, let's say 20 to 30 minutes, he realized that somebody, someone must've hit something big. He goes and he asks one of the Kino runners, I believe is the, is what they call themselves or is the name of the, the, the position. And because he's a Kino player, he kind of knows who these folks are. And they said, yeah, we've got a winner, but we don't know who it is. No one's presented their ticket yet. And they, and, and the fellow said, well, you know, would you mind, could I go over here and could I dig through your garbage and see if I can find it? 
sure enough, Graham, somebody had thrown away that winning ticket. And so he finds it and he tries to cash it. And when security discovers that he had, this fellow had fished the the winning ticket out of the garbage, they said, well, we're not going to pay you because the law says the regulatory law is it is the person who purchases the ticket is the one who's actually the winner. So that's another scenario where what do you do? Because it so closely mirrors one of my most favorite Vegas movies, Vegas vacation. And at the end of the movie where the, you know, the older gentleman dies and the Griswolds take the winning ticket and cash it in. Realistically, that couldn't play out the way it did in the movie. So I just, again, that's a scenario of why I just love doing these legal lounge segments. Absolutely. Well, I heard a segment, I think on your most recent 360 Vegas podcast, and I I had heard through, well, through the sort of Twitter sphere around Vegas as well, uh, this story, which I found interesting, which was the fellow who won $229,000, something like that, at Treasure Island, but didn't know it because there was some glitch in the slot machine. And then this whole apparatus of the gaming control board came into effect and they studied video and I think they ultimately tracked him down because he took an Uber or something. That's my understanding as well. Yeah. And then showed up on his. So there we go. The administrative regime coming in. That's right. The day they showed up on his doorstep in Arizona or something. right? That's my understanding as well. And and he had what a cool excuse to have. Like, I need any excuse to go to Vegas in the first place, but let alone because I have to go collect a check for almost three hundred thousand dollars. That's darn. That would be a rough way to have to make a trip. A tough way to have to go back. Yeah, I agree. All right. We've got to dive into the food here. So based on our email back and forth, uh, you know, when we were setting up this interview, you kindly sent me um, a few uh, the names of a few of the places that you had been. And I loved getting your list because I've been to absolutely zero of the places I've heard of all of them, want to go to all of them. But isn't it amazing? You can go to Vegas so often and you can go to so many different restaurants and there are still so many left to go to, right? For sure. One of the things that I tell friends is never get too emotionally connected to a restaurant because there is no guarantee that that restaurant will still be there the next time you go back. Case in point, I'm just heartbroken that Rouse at uh, Caesar's Palace has has closed up shop. That is heartbreaking. That was one of my most favorite Italian joints to eat at in Las Vegas, specifically on the Strip. And, you know, in the places that I've got here, they are either Strip or uh, downtown locales. Those are really the places that, that I, I vacation or that I eat at when I vacation. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't really do off strip places. I've never stayed at say uh, the gold coast or uh, I've stayed one night at the, at the M resort just to experience it, just to stay, say that I've stayed there, but I've never, uh, but that was literally like we flew in, took an Uber to M resort. We stayed the night there, what? ate there, drank there. <laughs> exactly. And then we got an Uber the next morning and went to the strip. So the places that I'm going to recommend aren't necessarily, I mean, I, they're not going to be the true hole in the wall places that only the locals would know. These are places that I'm recommending because for your listeners who are looking for someplace that is excellent and and will be enjoyable to try out, there is a certain amount of folksiness to them. There is there is certainly a local flavor to some of them, particularly the downtown ones. But yeah. you asked me, you said, give me some high-end ideas of what you really like. Give me some low-end or some local ideas of what you uh, what you got. So yeah, that's I, I'm fascinated that, that you haven't had an opportunity to try any of these. You will notice, Graham, there is perhaps a bit of a theme to probably five out of the out of the six here and that is that they are um asian food in nature Um, yes but boy i'll tell you what man whether you want high end or low end that's the great part about vegas is you can do whatever you're feeling if you're feeling 
Asian food, you've got a couple of very high-end options. And you've got some really great, more budget-friendly uh, options as mm-hmm. well. So so yeah, we can dive into Love them it. in any order yeah, you want to talk about them, bud. Let's dive in. Let's start at Mr. Chow at Caesar's Palace because uh, friends of mine from Vancouver were just were just down in Vegas for a uh, 40th birthday, I think. And, and, and I think this was one of the places on their list. Uh, and again, haven't been. So tell us about it. It, it is, it really is a high-end Asian restaurant. You're not going to get out of there. Uh, I mean, maybe if you don't have adult beverages, which I can't imagine a world where anybody <laughs> would want to do that. But if you, if you didn't want to do adult beverages with your meal, you could probably get out of there for, you know, 65 or $70 a person after tax and tip ish. Um, but it's, it's, it, it's a beautiful place. They've got these really cool in the ceiling. The the roof has a tendency, not a tendency. It, it does where it'll spin and it turns and it, and it just does these really cool things about every 15 minutes, which is it's just it, and it sits. It's got some great views. I really enjoyed this place. It is pricey, though. To be clear, we want there was about five of us, and our tab after tax and tip was somewhere right around about the hundred and fifty dollar marker. But but I do want to be very clear. Uh, most of the things you can share, uh, so yes. you're not getting yeah. your own plate of food per se. You're getting stuff that you share, and that also includes the wine and the cocktails that that we also ordered as a part of it. So, like I said, you can do it much cheaper than that. But after, t- but that's one of those things where you're going in there and you're not looking to try to skimp. Right, you're, you're, you're there. You're there for a reason, and I, I sort of brace myself when we go to higher end places, and I've made the decision in advance, and I've budgeted for it, and we're just going to go for it and enjoy it. Because otherwise, I, you know, I made that decision a long time ago. Because otherwise, you sort of ruin the experience. Going, oh, gee, you know. $20 for a cocktail. Well, yeah, that's what it's going to be. <laughs> that's right. Absolutely. Exactly right. And so I highly recommend Mr. Chow's uh, at Caesar's Palace. That is, and, and just to be clear, I'm sure it goes without saying, but I'll say it anyway, Graham, I yeah. literally get zero out of whether anybody goes and tries these right. out or not. So I don't want yes. anyone to think that I'm yes. trying to uh, point them in a direction that I have any uh, benefit in. It, frankly, I recommend these to you, Graham, because these are places where I'm willing to say I will spend this kind of money out of my right. own pocket, right? Like this is my hard earned money. And what I spend at Mr. Chow's, I don't have available then at the blackjack table or the craps table. So if I'm willing to recommend these, just know that's because I find high value in these, these particular restaurants. All right. Well, let's move a little bit south on the strip. Uh, I think we're even connected here. We are from Caesar's Palace to Bellagio. And let's head into Jasmine. So I've had some wonderful experiences in the Bellagio. I've I've dined at uh, most recently, I guess, at Lago, which oh, is yeah. uh, mm-hmm. Julian Serrano's uh, kind of second restaurant there. I've actually been lucky to be to to do a stage to do a sort of an internship in the kitchen a couple of times at Picasso and uh, and we dined there as well which was just spectacular Loved no doubt it. Yeah, so, so good. Being, we were, uh, once I went with a buddy, this is 15 years ago, and we were out on the uh, patio, you know, looking out over the lake. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, Incredible. No, absolutely. Um, No doubt. But, but Jasmine, I have not been to, and that's yours from the Bellagio. So, so again, uh, it's an Asian themed restaurant. Uh, what I highly, highly recommend is that you get the crispy duck. They bring mm. the whole duck out and it feeds about three people. So you're going to want to get other meals as well, because you're going to get, you're going to get three small, almost tapas like plates out of this, this, uh, crispy duck. You're going, they're going to do a, a lettuce wrap. They're going to do a, I want to say a a duck fried rice and they mm-hmm. do a third one with with the the breast meat itself and and it's always just phenomenal the, the crispy duck i could not recommend 
any higher than I do. As a matter of fact, we go for the crispy duck and then we just order whatever sort of random sides to go along with it to to try something new. Exactly. To get exactly to get a full meal out of it. But the crispy duck, I can't recommend that any higher than I do to people. I will. I would sing that from the rooftops on on why it's so good. This is amazing. And I guess moving, uh, I like we're, we're moving geographically here to Aria, another MGM property, very close to Bellagio. I've read a lot about this place. And this one I hear is even among high-end Vegas restaurants, I've heard this one is particularly tough on the pocketbook or can be, but, but Carbone to, at Aria. Wonderful, wonderful Italian place. Now, the, the funny thing is, and I say funny is kind of a, a cool compliment that that my wife's uh, stepbrother gave us is we, my wife, her brother and her stepbrother, the four of us went out to Vegas back in September of, of last year. And we, for, as a, as a bachelor party for him. Now, granted, we're all in our either late thirties or early forties. So our, so a bachelor party in your early forties look a whole lot different than a bachelor party uh, in your twenties. Right. Uh, yes. I'll tell you the flip side though, the, the other, the benefit to that is my bankroll and what I could afford for restaurants is, is, is different today than it would have been when I was in my twenties. So that's a, that's a bit of a trade-off. I, it's true what they say. Youth really is wasted on, on the, the young. young. <laughs> um, but, uh, we took them to Carbone. We took them to Jasmine. We took them to the new uh, Barry Steakhouse at at Circa. Oh, at Circa. Yeah. And Carbone happened to have been just the way it worked out. We were there for three nights. Carbone happened to have been the last night we were in town for our different uh, dinners. And he said, he said, I don't know if you intended to do this, but in my opinion, between Jasmine, Barry's and Carbone, you saved the best for last. Aha. Uh-huh. He loved Carbone. There is nothing that you can get at Carbone that isn't going to be wonderful. But one of the things that I recommended, the reason we went back to it was not just because the food is so fantastic. And I don't know if I mentioned it already, but I'll say it again. It's an Italian uh, restaurant. They have a rum old fashioned that Ooh. is uh, now you got to understand, buddy. I am a bourbon guy from the word go. I mean, you cut me and I don't bleed blood. I bleed bourbon. (laughs) So for, so for Carbone to be doing a riff on the old fashioned, which arguably should be a bourbon based cocktail is a little sacrilege to use rum, but I wanted to give it a try. My friend, their (laughs) rum old fashioned, if I wouldn't have been sitting down, would have knocked me down because it was so good. I did not expect it to be that good. And so I wow. really just wanted this rum old fashioned cocktail again. <laughs> and that's why we went back. But I got the nicest compliment uh, from my brother, uh, from my wife's uh, stepbrother by saying that we saved the best for last. So if you're looking for a really, really top notch, and I mean, the service at Carbone is, is second to none. This place, if you're feeling Italian, Carbone is, is my recommendation. Okay, the way to go. Now, I think this is true, but both Mr. Chow and Carbone would fit into a category of Vegas restaurants that I find fascinating for a whole bunch of reasons that we don't need to get into. But they are uh, Las Vegas representations of restaurants in other places. That is right? true. And, okay, yes, am I right true. on that? Yeah. That and, and the original Carbone is New York? I believe so, yes. Yeah. I believe you're a cook, okay. yes. Yeah, I, I find that fascinating. And I've, I've got some uh, history with Bouchon, one of my favorite, absolute favorite places in Las Vegas. And I remember going to the one in Yonville in California, uh, the original, which, and it made me giggle almost because it is so different. I mean, they're both wonderful, but the Californian right. one is more of a sort of a proper bistro in that all of the tables are just jammed together and there's no space and just a completely different experience. Whereas 
I guess Nevada, you've got nothing but space. So you that's might as right, well yes. make these places big. <laughs> that's absolutely right. No, that's a fascinating observation. Good call. Okay, well, let's move into the downtown area, and we're okay. moving down a little bit in price point. But one, let's let's start with Lotus of Siam because okay. uh, in emailing back and forth with Karen, your your three sixty Vegas co host, uh, we're trying to figure out, a, uh, and I think we've got it, a day to get together for a bite to eat. And uh, this was Karen's recommendation. After I, I, I sort of said, "Look, we're going to be doing this, we're going to be doing that," so. Uh, we'll have the high end taken care of because we're going to do those places earlier in the trip. But if there's a, you know, a great locals recommendation that you have, would love to experience that with you. And this was top of her list. Why is that? <laughs> uh, because it because it very much warrants being at the top of the list. <laughs> okay. Lotus Asylum is a place that had been on both my respective list and Karen's respective list of places that we had individually wanted to try. Uh, and so it worked out that when I had made mention that I was kind of thinking about this particular place, she said, you know, my husband Mark isn't necessarily interested in in trying it, but I don't really want to go alone. If this is a place that you think you would want to try, why don't we go together? Graham, I got to tell you, buddy, we ordered damn near everything off the menu. And that's that's a little <laughs> bit of an overstatement, but we 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 pulled no punches. We didn't say, nah, maybe that's a little too much or more. Oh, maybe that's more than we want to spend. We ordered everything we could possibly want to try and eat. And the best part for Karen, and she'll say this, you know, to, until she's blue in the face, the best part of her living in Las Vegas is anything that gets ordered that you don't want, she can have boxed up because she can take it home and she can write it. Right. She, she's got a fridge. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> she's got access to all the sorts of leftover things like a microwave and plates and silverware that you would want. So we did, we blew it out. And for my for my wife and Karen and myself to order every, damn near everything off the menu, ordered plenty of cocktails, ordered plenty of uh, wine after tax and tip, I think we barely hit $200, Graham. I mean, that's just to say wow. how inexpensive, how affordable this place can be. And I don't think every meal needs to be, and frankly, or should be a, a Mr. Chow's or a Jasmine or, or a Carbone. I really enjoy just a, a regular sort of what would the if I were a Las Vegas resident, where would I realistically be eating on any given night? It's certainly yeah. not going to be Mr. Chow's <laughs> yes. or Jasmine or Carbone. It's going to be Lotus no. as I am. Buddy, yeah. you're going to get so much food. And I just mean that quantity wise, you're going to get so much food with whatever adult beverages you want to enjoy while you're having it. And you're going to look at the meal and you're going to think that they didn't include every like you're going to be looking right. to see they, well what's they, not they, on what, this what do they miss here exactly yeah. because it's just so affordable and it is wonderful i mean it is it is wonderful i have known about lotus siam for years and years and years because of a uh, newsletter called the las vegas advisor and uh, yes. anthony curtis who writes anthony it has curtis, talked yeah. about this place for years and years and years and so it's always kind of been a place that i wanted to give a try to but as i think i've made very clear now on this podcast <laughs> i'm really a, a on the strip or downtown person so unless I've got a rental car or I want to Uber off the strip to this place, I just, I don't get, I don't get in that sort of opportunity. So this is for you and Karen to go to. I'm so excited to get to hear your review on what you think about this place. Okay. All right. Well, it is coming. Is there a standout dish? Is there one thing that you remember of the, of the dishes that you guys shared? Is it a, I don't know what it would be. Is it? A, is it a yes. Yeah. We, uh, unfortunately, we, like I said, we had quite a few adult beverages with it. So my mind's a little, uh, a, a little hinky follow Karen's lead. She has taken a couple more of our mutual friends there and they all seem to want to order the same consistent things okay. um, because they're just so good. And as a matter of fact, the best part about going with Karen is she's going to say, you're going to want to order X and Y and Z. 
Now, outside of X and Y and Z, Graham, what else on the menu looks good to you uh, or would be something you think you would enjoy? I would recommend you pick A and or B and or C to go along with that so that you're going to get just this this wonderful um, array of food. Yeah. Because whatever you get, it's going to be it's going to be just outstanding. Well, indeed, we did go to Lotus of Siam and indeed we did go with Karen. And ultimately, though, for what menu items to have, the three of us, Karen, my wife B, and I, we just placed our trust in Penny, the current CEO of the restaurant. As you'll hear, Penny asked us what we liked, figured out the appropriate spice levels, and then she just sent amazing dish after amazing dish from the kitchen. Lotus of Siam specializes in northern cuisine, which I learned is very herbaceous, and it uses much less coconut milk than in Bangkok-style cuisine. According to Penny, it's also saltier than northern Thai cuisine, and a little more, and I love this word, dank. I should confess here that I was fumbling with the digital recorder when Penny showed up at our table, so if you like, listen for an outtake at the very, very end of today's episode about my brilliant recording skills. But I did get most of our discussion. The restaurant was busy, so you'll hear lots of uh, sound in the background. But hey, that will just make you feel like you're sitting at the table with us. Let's go now to Las Vegas and to Lotus of Siam. Here we are on a beautiful spring, verging towards summer, uh, afternoon in Las Vegas. I am sitting at a table for my first time ever in Lotus of Siam. I'm here with my wife, B, who, actually, I'll just put this on the podcast, is celebrating her birthday today. So we are doing, and we're here with our friend Karen from the 360 Vegas podcast. Delighted to be sharing another dinner with you so quickly. Awesome. I know. It was like last week, I think, exactly. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. After the Oscar dinner. And we're so happy to have Penny here, who, I have to ask you questions about this. Penny from Lotus of Siam, and I think you are now one of the owners of the operation. Yeah, you're nodding. Okay. <laughs> Sometimes I, I tell people I'm like more of a dishwasher. Okay. You know, it's whatever my mom tells me to do. <laughs> From what I know about restaurant operations, that is typical of an owner. Yeah. yeah. I'll be I'll be back there washing the dishes With at the end kids. of the night. Yes. 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 <laughs> the owner says, go ahead. Back there and wash. <laughs> exactly. Well, I, we don't want to keep you too long and we're so grateful to, that you came to our table and thanks for spending time. So we'll just ask you a few quick questions. Can you start by describing to me, because this is my first time here, the focus of the food here. And I know a little bit from your website and from the discussion that we had just before I pressed record <laughs> that, you, that you focus on Northern Thai cuisine. So, so what is the food here all about and how does Northern Thai differ from what I might think of as Thai cuisine? So for us, my mother's from the North, which, you know, a lot of people now know is Chiang Mai, but she's also from the small little city, I want to say maybe province, called Lampun, and it's like a very rural area, you know, it's very um, green, but in that area, the food is very different from Bangkok style. We're very more herbaceous type of foods. We eat a lot of vegetables, like most of our stuff is stewed but coconutless so we don't really use a lot of coconut in our food up in the north except one dish which is the khao soy and that's more on like a burmese influence but we kind of use i want to say uh protein readily available for us here you know like some of the proteins in thailand you don't want to eat the beef so people would prefer to eat pork or prefer to eat chicken only but for us because we have so many options and so many different suppliers and vendors we decide that, hey, the 
like drunken noodle doesn't always have to be chicken. It can be made with shrimp, can be made with crispy duck, could be made with anything, you know? And so that's the different types of stuff that we offer here. But if you take a look, I mean, I'll, I'll send you the link also because we have. But our northern time, majority of the time is going to be with pork or it's going to be jackfruit, vegetarian. It's very vegetarian friendly, to be honest. <laughs> and Which made me very happy. You know, it's, it's interesting because a lot of people prior to, I want to say like the plant-based type foods, people are like, oh, you know, it's, it's difficult to find vegetarian food, but it's really not. You know, Thai food, especially letter D right here, says tam kanun. This has the same texture as meat, but it's fully vegetarian. I don't like to say vegan because our pots and pans aren't like considered the kosher way of veganism, but yeah. So, I mean, we can wash it and stuff like that, but it wouldn't be the same thing. For the way the vegan works is it has to be virgin pans, you know, and that's why I don't promote that we're vegan, and I don't want to pass mislead that on to yeah, mislead the people. But we do offer vegetarian dishes, and you know, the same thing with like our numprik hit which is like a Thai chili dip. Whereas like, I want to say palate profile of the north is more, a little bit spicy, herby. It's not on the tart where you would find in Bangkok. Bangkok's like a tart, sweet, kind of like um, like the Thai papaya salads. Like that's the flavor profile of Bangkok. Whereas the north is going to be like the saltier version. It's going to be a little bit more dank. I would say yeah. <laughs> so, as soon as you said salty, that could be one of the reasons why I like the food so much because that's right, that's right up my alley. <laughs> and, and when you say herbaceous, are there some? There must be some, but what are some of the herbs that you use? And are there some real standouts or real like workhorses that you? Yeah. So in the north, it's a heavy. Um, I don't know what the new term is, but I think it's like bergamot lime leaves okay. now. So it's a lot of those in in our food base, like our northern style sauce. Sausages, they use bergamot lime leaves now. Um, we also use the peel into our stews and curries. The same thing with, like, for example, the which I'm gonna actually bring out some for you to try. The numprik, the letter F, numprik hit is when you guys taste it, you'll taste the, the roasted of the chilies. It's not the same, like, some people will just be like, oh, you just pound the chili, but there's actually methods to all this, you know, and for a lot of people who come to Thai food and, you know, who actually are adventurous, we explain to them that there's actually food science behind this. And Thai food is actually one of the most complicated foods also to prepare because it's not just, you know, oh, I just mix fish sauce and lime juice when it's, you have the chili paste that you have to make. You know, you start from scratch, which is galanga, le uh, lemongrass, sometimes shrimp, depending on which one it is. And most people, they don't know that. They're like, oh, it's just paste, you know? Yeah. But Especially when you're doing it all from scratch. Yeah, and Whereas, then on top of it, it's like, you know, it's not just, oh, here, you just pound a lemongrass and you toss it into the pot. No, it's actually you have to roast it first because then it excretes the oil. Same thing as chili. When you cook chili, if you want, if you're like spicy person, you have when you roast it, what happens? You know, the oil comes out. And then if you pound it on top, what happens then? It's totally different from the same as you put in a full pod, untouched, whereas you put a pounded one, they're all completely different. What does, what does prep look like day-to-day -day here? And, and I'm thinking back to an interview I saw 
a little bit of on YouTube that you did with two sharp chefs, two sharp chefs and a microphone with Lorraine and Louie, and talking about the prep of the sauces and the sauce bases. So, take us inside the kitchen and, and tell us how that works. On a is that on a daily basis? How is that? So what how does that happen? we do is because it's so high volume now at this restaurant. What we do is we do it per week. Okay. So for us, and you know, we follow the SNHD code rule where it's like sauces and anything past five days you toss out but for us it doesn't even get to five days <laughs> so it's more of like we do it twice a week mm-hmm. and uh, we'll probably start say for example our stir fry dishes we use the same sauce for any of the stir fry dishes that have to do with like a base but after that say for example you have I'm sorry I'm gonna the silver sure. so that we all can like understand a little bit um, so for example like the chili basil right we'll use the base sauce which is in Thai we call sauce pot so that's our stir fry sauce base but after that you have to do your own chili mix you have to do the stir fry chili mix and then you have to actually not just toss it in and let it sit you know you actually have to move like your wrist it's it's very difficult to explain this sometimes because I'm like "Uh, I don't know how to say this but when I cook it for you I get it you know and so and that one will be different from our sauce pot pre-king, which will use the same base, but then you have to have the curry paste. Instead of the chili paste, you have the curry paste that you have to make, and then you have to mix it together. And, you know, because of the everything, we want it to be consistent. We don't want somebody to be like, oh, like, everybody's palate is completely different, right? Like, you might like sweeter, you might like saltier, you might like spicier. And so we try to make everything on the same level field. And that's what it is. So we would probably take for that one sauce for the base would probably take about two and a half hours three hours and then from start to finish on cool down so then we have to do the cool down method and then we store it and like how many different sauces and bases then are you guys making on a weekly basis i say right now i have about seven different types not including the curry paces (laughs) so (laughs) amazing can you can you point us to this is a, no this is a terrible question it's like what's your favorite food and I'm not going to ask was, you that I was but, thinking yeah, the same thing yeah, like, what's, what's the yeah, one that you would recommend like yeah, you have to try yeah. you have to eat. so with this to be honest I I find people's palates first because what I would like you might not like right you know and that's how. I get into the minds of every of our guests, that who's ever had me as their server. Mm-hmm. It's like, for example, if, are you full vegetarian? But you, you, you're, what's your preference in meat? I like them all. I love vegetables. As long as it's a little bit of protein on the side, it can be anything. Probably if I had to choose, I would say chicken or beef. Chicken or beef. And are you a sauce person or a dry little bit of sauce. A little bit of sauce. Are you a rice or a noodle person? Rice. Rice. And so, for example, in that case right there, I know that she wants a little bit of sauce, a little bit of... Are you spicy or not spicy? Spicy. So that one, I always recommend people... Off the bat, I always recommend people our chili basil because it's very different from other people in the way that we make it. And on top of it... Sorry. I recommend people... With beef, I recommend people the Nuyan Prik Thai On. We use a ribeye, and we actually grill it to like a medium rare, but then after that we cook it, stir-fry and cook it into our curry paste. 
and then actually when that one comes out it's not like a heavy curry dish it's more of like a stir-fry curry and this one actually is what i would recommend people it's on the spicy side and it's not too sweet you actually taste a little bit of cognac in the curry base so it it, it opens up more palates just getting more and more hungry here. I know. Right? <laughs> what, what is the best way? For, we're a tiny group, but we're a group. What's the best way for a group to order? For, do do? I always do family style for for this type of stuff. Just because, you know, it's every, like for us too our, at our home, our family and stuff like that, we always do family style. There's never a time where I just go and I order one dish on my own, you know? Yeah. So it's like I have to show the way. And this is probably it. And you know, it's it seems like a lot of people are more adventurous now. They they prefer to not follow what's in the in the textbook anymore of what Thai food is. And a lot of people are very like travel outside of their their realm. But for me, if you guys let me pick your menus today, which we will. Well, yes. <laughs> I mean, how can how can we turn down that offer? Um, I have a few things that I would definitely recommend, and there's no allergies on this table, no. correct? But and I'm not a huge spicy person. Sorry. So from <laughs> so one to ten, I can you handle sriracha? I can. Yep. Okay, so then you could like still hang on a three a and bit, a four. Yeah. So yeah. that's okay. not that bad. Okay. And so, but with this, how many dishes do you guys like? plan to eat just because sometimes i when people are like hey all game we're, we're open for everything i just keep I, it coming yeah. <laughs> I, I gotta say we're in vegas it's your birthday i like that idea just and, don't want to waste any food okay the oh, but, right. no but i'm a, I'm a local so i can, I can take home leftovers you know one one of the things that a lot of people don't realize besides our food menu is we also do the wine pairing like I have a slum on deck but if you guys aren't into the wine today I also have the full cocktail menu but our cocktail menus is very different from other Thai restaurants it's not a pick off the internet kind of thing we actually do our own menu base I've like a couple cocktails <laughs> really good <laughs> really good like for example we do our own um, lemongrass infused tequila which that's the one I was looking at yeah the tom yummy yep. so a lot of people you know I I went to Thailand and we I tried this one cocktail and it was like hey it made sense like it's a very different feel from what you would find in the US you know like no one would ever expect to drink like a tom yum style cocktail and it sounds weird at first but when you actually try it you're like like you kind of like it yeah so that one I would always recommend to people our Royal Ramakian, we actually do our own uh, infusion of the butterfly pea flower into the gin. So it comes out a very pretty hue. And so when you mix it with acid, it comes out into a purple rather than a deep blue. But I will, if you guys are okay with that, I'll pick you guys out. And then since it's your birthday, I'd like to buy you a drink. <laughs> but would you guys like this to be coursed out or you guys want it all together? It's your birthday. What would you like? Forced out. Altogether, it's too overwhelming. I got you. No worries. As long as... Yeah, and it's still early. So it's still we'll get, early. We'll oh, yeah, no. I'll be good. I have to work in the morning. but uh, And I'm... Uh, I like the, the wine pairing. Sounds fabulous to me. I don't know what you guys are thinking. Done. Yes. Done. Done. But I also like this cocktail idea. I gotta say. Well, you start with a cocktail. Yeah. And then, you, then you go from there with the wine. Yeah, you guys. We have to come back. <laughs> you haven't even had anything We haven't yet. had... We're coming, had back. Wine, we coming back. We're coming back. 
Erica. Penny, thank you so much for taking the time. Cannot wait for this dinner. No worries. Thank you so much for having me. Um, I'm going to pick out some menus and I'm going to fire them off first and then you guys let me know. Uh, I'm going to start off everything on a level three and then... If you See taste, how I do. If you're, it's like, you're like, okay, I'm like, all right, we're going to fire the rest as, as of that level. Sounds awesome. good. Thank, Thank, guys. You. Thank you. Thank you. Holy shit. What a meal. And I should really delete that expletive because that's the one and only reason I am going to have to give this episode an explicit rating. And, and Tony worked so hard to avoid swearing through our whole interview. But fuck it. Holy shit is the phrase that springs to mind when I think about that meal. It was that good. There were a bunch of standouts, but try, try, try the jackfruit salad. Have the beef tartare. Have the short rib curry. Holy moly, the one dish that had coconut milk, and it was incredible. The garlic prawns. These show up with their shells, but the shell has been peeled back from the flesh, and the whole thing is fried, and you eat both? They were simply incredible. Oh, and the sommelier, so friendly, so knowledgeable. This was a new experience for me, pairing wine with Thai food. I'll often have a beer or just have water, but the Psalm paired dishes for us with an Austrian Gruner Weltliner and with a Rhone blend, so one white, one red. Both were really good matches with the food. If you go, I I don't remember the specifics beyond those descriptions of them, but if you go, just ask to speak with the sommelier. He will take great care of you, as will the whole team at Lotus of Siam. All right, back to Tony now. In this segment of our conversation, Tony and I talk a bit about the beauty of the budget-friendly meal, and then we move on to more of Tony's favorites, starting with another Thai place, actually. This one downtown in the Fremont Street area of Vegas. And Tony says this is the best Thai food he's ever had. So I can hardly imagine how good it must be to carry that ranking in a town that also includes Lotus of Siam. We're also going to get into Tony's amazing cocktail recipe in this segment. You will want this one in your recipe book when Christmas next rolls around. All right, let's get back to it now, starting with the notion that food need not be expensive or fancy to be wonderful. And one of the wonderful things about Las Vegas is that the city gives you no end of culinary choices. And to your point about you can't always be at the high end, I agree absolutely. I mean, A, from a financial perspective, but B, it just gets, you become a bit numb to it, I think. And there are times, there are times when, of course, I absolutely enjoy that three hour experience with incredible service and you're, you're diving into the whole night in one place and others, I'm like, eh, I, I want to slice a good pizza and, and, and back to the craps table. No doubt. Absol- absolutely right. I, and again, that is the great thing about Vegas is what are you feeling? And there are, there have been times when we might have reservations at say Carbone and we end up canceling our reservations because we're not interested in doing that. We'd much rather just go hit one of the quicker local air joints from wherever we're at at that exact moment. And that's what you can do in Vegas. You can, on a, yes. on a, on a turn of a dime, you can go from high-end to bargain, uh, you know, bargain price or, or, or more family-friendly prices, maybe mm-hmm. a nicer way to phrase that. And you're not missing out on an, any sort of culinary um, experience because they're both going to be so outstanding. Okay, well, let's stick with Thai here and okay. into into the downtown Fremont area. And you've got Le Thai, which, again, I've heard about and have not been. For folks who have had an opportunity to eat at 8 East at Circa, ah. my understanding is the fellow who owns Le Thai also owns 8 East. 
this is the best Thai food I have ever had. Now, granted, I will concede to you, Graham, I live in the middle of the state of Michigan, right in the smack dab middle of the Midwest. No offense to my fine fellow Midwestern citizens, but we don't necessarily have access to perhaps authentic Thai. So maybe that's part of, you know, I have less of an experience of of what great Thai food can be, but I can tell you, I've never had anything bad at Latai. Nothing. Everything I've ever gotten has been wonderful. Now I will forewarn you, they score their heat from one to five. One is going to be, you know, a, a nice, a nice heat. Five is going to be just, you know, you're, you're, you're not going to taste anything for days. It reminds right. me of the, of the, and I'm really showing my age here, Graham. There is an episode of the Simpsons where Homer goes to a chili cook-off and he oh. tries to eat this one particular pepper and he can't. So he drinks melted candle wax to candle coat wax. his mouth, right? Yes. That's kind of what you're going to need to do if you want to wow. opt for number five. But <laughs> What's fun about it is I've got a really, really great friend of mine from from my college days. I mean, we've we've just we've been friends for 25 years now, and he ordered like let's just say at a at, at the three, maybe the four level, and the food comes out, and we're eating our food, and you know we were kind of sticking around the one, two, maybe three area. He picked the three or the four area somewhere around there, and my wife goes, "So Jason, how was it? Did you like it?" And he's mopping his brow because his sweat is just, I mean, just streaming down his face. He's like, oh no, this is, this is exactly how I like it. This is what I usually would make this temperature at. We're like, you're such a liar, but I mean, you don't, they forewarn you. They say, listen, each number gets incrementally. I mean, it's not just going from two is not twice as hot as one and three isn't a third as hot as say two, which was, I mean, it's just, you're just, it's an exponential. Exactly. Right. Yeah. So, but I, I guarantee you, folks, if you go, if you enjoy Thai food, there is none better than than Latai, in my opinion. And frankly, Graham, I see, a, I foresee a scenario where I spend a trip staying downtown, and I never eat anywhere other than either Eight East at Circa or Latai because or Latai. the, the wow. food is the menu is just so wonderful. Okay. Again on my list. And now to the final one on your list, also downtown. We're moving out of the Asian theme here. I wonder if so this is Nacho Daddy. Is this the place where there is some sort of a speaking of spicy options, some sort of a scorpion based cocktail? Or yes, is that it, is okay. That is the place. Okay. I have never done this. Um, I have some friends that have done it because who doesn't want to say that they ate a scorpion? Apparently. Drank a scorpion. Right. Yeah, of course. Apparently they put the scorpion in in your shot glass of your tequila and you're supposed to just shoot shoot the tequila, Oof. but you're also then swallowing a whole baby um, scorpion. So they're not very big. So obviously they got to be small enough that you can truly swallow it without having to chew it. I have right. never done that. I have no interest in doing that. I don't need to be hit by a bus to know that that would probably hurt and I wouldn't enjoy mm-hmm. that. I don't think I yeah. would enjoy swallowing a a, a baby uh, scorpion. Now, my, my <laughs> the, caveat- The joys of visiting Vegas when we're a few years older. <laughs> <laughs> Again, 21-year-old me would probably be like, yeah, yeah hell yeah, I'm yeah. 44-year-old me says, why the hell would mm. I do that? That's stupid. Yeah. I have to put a bit of an asterisk next to Nacho Daddy when I say I recommend this place for folks who enjoy great breakfast options. We have eaten, my, we being, say, my wife and I and, 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 and other folks, we've had Nacho Daddy for meals other than breakfast. We've found that for us, the sweet spot with Nacho Daddy is their breakfast menu. 
They have just the most outstanding, authentic Mexican food that that you can get for breakfast. And, and, you know, what do you want? Do you want to do it as a burrito? Do you want to do it as an enchilada? Do you want to do it as a a huevos rancheros? I mean, what are you looking to do? They're going to do it for you. And it is going to be wonderful. We only eat at Nacho Daddy for breakfast, but we might eat at Nacho Daddy multiple times in a trip for uh-huh. breakfast. Some folks are not bre- uh, are not breakfast people and I get that totally respect it. Some folks stay out until maybe two or three o'clock in the morning and they wind up sleeping through breakfast. No problem. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to judge you for that. That is a great way to Vegas. But for us, particularly because there's that three hour time difference between Vegas and in and, and Michigan, you know, we're, we're putting ourselves to bed at maybe midnight Vegas time, but that's three o'clock our time. Sure. <laughs> so when we wake up at say, six or seven o'clock in the morning Vegas time that realistically is maybe, you know, 10 o'clock, depending on when exactly we finally get up and around and this, but that's also, that is, I got to say, that is the best part about being three hours ahead because when we're eating breakfast at six o'clock or seven o'clock local time. Nobody is up Nobody's yet at that there. time. It is. No. We got the restaurant to ourselves and we're awake and we're showered and we're ready to go because it's 10 o'clock local time. It's 10 o'clock. Yeah. And you're probably getting a very interesting people watching experience because those last few people are heading home from the <laughs> table to the club. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah. exactly right. Yes, that, that's true, too. That is you can you can definitely tell the people who have not yet gone to bed. At that right. time. Okay. Well, well, sticking with that theme, so sticking with the uh, the adult beverage, I love that phrase, the adult beverage side of Vegas, as you've alluded to already, you are a bourbon guy, you're a cocktail guy. And one of the segments that I've been enjoying on the 360 Vegas Patreon page is your cocktail videos. So one that I would love you to walk my listeners through. I actually sent a description of this to to a good buddy in Thunder Bay, and, I, and he wrote back saying, "Dear God, that sounds good." And this is the brown butter bourbon cocktail. Take it away. Tell okay. Us, tell tell us what it is and how you make it. All right. So this drink is called "I Saw Mommy and Santa." Okay. Now this is as you're going as I walk, kind of work our way or, or walk us through this. You're going to be able to tell the reason for the name is is because this is a little bit of a Christmas holiday themed with just the flavors and whatnot. But here's what you're going to do. Let me give you the, let me give you the ingredients and then we'll, I'll kind of walk you back through how to do these things. So in a cocktail glass, you want one and a half ounces of brown butter washed rye whiskey with a half ounce of Kahlua, two dashes of saline solution and two dashes of chocolate mole bitters. All right. So two of those four things are really easy. The Kahlua is you just go out and you buy the bottle of Kahlua and you buy yourself a bottle of uh, chocolate bitters. The saline solution is also pretty darn easy to make. It is five parts water to one part sea salt. So for example, I would, and and you're going to want to do this by weight. Uh, So on a, on a digital scale, I would recommend five parts, whatever your, 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 your water is, as long as it's divisible by five, do that so that that one part is, is your sea salt. I would also probably recommend that you consider putting the sea salt in warm water. It's going to help the, the salt dissolve a little bit quicker. Ergo, you can get to your cocktail a little bit quicker. A little bit quicker. Yes. Very sensible. Uh, Here's where there's some actual work involved. And that's as it relates to creating this brown butter washed rye whiskey. In a saucepan, I want you to take one stick of butter, put it in your pan over medium heat, and what's going to happen is as that pan gets hot, it's going to, duh, melt the 
the butter, but more so what I also want you to do is keep stirring that melted butter because that heat is eventually going to start to brown the butter. Now, it it won't be truly brown as in like, say, dirt color brown, but it's going to start to brown itself. It's not going to be yellow anymore like butter traditionally would be. As it gets darker, you're going to be able to tell when it's ready because the from the smell, it's going to have a little bit of a nuttiness, a nutty mm-hmm. uh, scent to it, and it's going to become very aromatic. Once you've got your your butter browned, and, and like I said, it's really just a matter of being patient. It's going to maybe take you 10 to 15 ish minutes, but your result, you know, your, your, your mileage may vary on how long it takes. Once you've got your, your butter browned, I want you to put it in effectively a a casserole dish, something that's going to be, oh, three inches tall, but it's going to wind up being maybe 10 inches long and and maybe eight inches wide. So, you know, listen, I think everybody can visualize what a casserole dish looks like. I will not believe the point. I'm thinking scalloped potatoos. That's what I think. Beautiful. (laughs) Whatever you make your scalloped potatoes in, that's what I want you to dump both a 750 milliliter bottle of rye, or as in America, we would say just a fifth of your, uh, of rye. And, and Graham, let me be very, very clear here. Do not buy an expensive bottle of rye whiskey. Whatever you like as, as a rye whiskey that you might make, for say a Manhattan is going to be just fine for this drink because you're mixing it. You're mixing it with, you know, this brown butter. You're mm-hmm. you're throwing in the Kahlua, the bitters, the, 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 the saline solution. So don't, don't spend a lot of money on the rye. But what I, what you will do in your dish is you're going to combine the, uh, the fifth of, of, of rye whiskey along with that brown, that stick of melted brown butter that you've made. I just want you to cover it and I want you to let it sit out at room temperature for about 48 hours. All right, that's giving it a chance to really let the flavor of the butter infuse with the rye whiskey. After the 48 hours is up, then I want you to put that dish as is covered in your freezer overnight. Now, the value realistically of why you're doing this is as it sets up overnight and it allows that that butter to, I think, coagulate is the word I want. Uh, <laughs> look at me sound kind yep, of smart. That works. It's going to harden back up and you're literally then when you remove that dish out of the freezer with a spoon or a fork or, or, or some you know utensil, you're going to be able to almost pick up an entire shelf, so to speak, of hardened butter, and you're going to throw it away or, or save it, you know, save it for, for, for popcorn or something. Right. But, but you, you discard the butter that, that hardens at the top of, of the rye whiskey, and then put your rye whiskey back into the bottle that, that it came in. Make sure to label it so that you know what you've got in there is is uh, brown butter washed rye. But that's how you make the drink. So it's an ounce and a half of the brown butter washed rye. It's a half ounce of Kahlua. It's two dashes of the saline solution. And it's two dashes of the the, the chocolate mole bitters. Now, there is a bit of a, mm, for lack of a better word, I'm going to say a, a disagreement online on what exactly constitutes a dash of something, uh, sure. you know, wh- because these, the bottles of bitter that you buy. So whether you're buying the Angostura bitters, you know, whether you're buying a bottle of, of chocolate mole bitters, you get less liquid each time you shake. Well, let me rephrase. When you first buy the bottle, the amount of liquid that you're going to get out of that bottle, when you do a dash, when you just, you're essentially, you're shaking that bottle, like you would shake a, a salt shaker. The amount of liquid that you get is not going to be as much liquid as you will subsequently get once ah. you go through and, and get rid of about an 
eighth of uh, an eighth of the bottle because once there's more air in the bottle when you do that shake there's more force pressure Ah. exactly and you get a larger amount of liquid for that dash so the way i kind of help folks on these videos that i that i put together the way i describe it is think about it like an eyedropper's worth A, a normal traditional sized eyedropper not something long we're not you know, we're not working in a, in a chemist lab somewhere. This is just a traditional and the amount of liquid that you could get in a, in a, in an eyedropper is about the amount that you're going to use for a quote unquote dash. Yeah. All right. And, okay. and I share that because your, your listeners are going to wind up having just this little bowl of saline solution. And they're saying, mm-hmm. well, Tony, how the, how do I get a dash <laughs> from a, a right. bowl of liquid here? I would recommend, you know, two eyedroppers worth uh, would constitute two dashes. Well, this again on the list. I might have to save it for next season when we're getting close to uh, close to Christmas. Give it a try. Give it a try. Yeah, it is really good. It is. There's something about the fats in that butter that make the rye very silky, very velvety. So by the time then you add in that brown butter washed rye with the Kahlua, with with the saltiness from that from that saline uh, with the chocolate bitters, it's just it's it is a wonderful wonderful cocktail. Love it. And I'm going to talk to some chef friends about uh, recommended uses for the leftover butter. There's got to be something. I'm thinking maybe just sweat it down, mix it with a little balsamic vinegar and toss it with pasta. There's, you know, there's going to be some, yeah, there's There's, going to be some real cool things. No (laughs) doubt that people who actually know how to do these, use these (laughs) products will be able to. So I, that, that will be fascinating. I I too will wait to, to see how they, what they recommend. Tony, this has been absolutely fantastic. You're very kind. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Of course. Oh, last question. This really is the last one. Where, uh, Chef Timoni listeners, where can they best follow along with you and your your co-host for 360 Vegas? Absolutely. My Twitter handle is at 360, 360, at 360 Vegas Tony. We do our podcast for the most part weekly. Sometimes we'll we'll take a, a week off uh, here or there. Particularly, uh, you know, I gotta say, little man behind the curtain on on the podcast is that Karen and I don't have to do anything. We literally get a script from Mark sent to us, and we show up Friday evenings to to record the podcast to post then on the weekend. So I never really know from one week to the next if we're going to podcast because Mark might text me and say, "Hey, man, no, like we did literally this like as we record this on a Monday, he uh, texted me." On a, on a Friday morning said, no show tonight wasn't enough news to to create an entire podcast worth of content. Oh, sure. So, you know, that's the best part. But yeah, pop on over to 360vegaspodcast.com. Uh, the podcast is on all of your popular podcast apps. So you can you can find us anywhere. I will say we are not we are not a uh, a, a family friendly, a car friendly, let's say a podcast right. for yep. kids. If, if you've got small children or or your your mother is in the car, I would recommend you not listen. There's a good reason why the little explicit logo pops up on the yes. podcast. But if you don't mind some perhaps, you know, we were kind of blue from time words. to time. Yeah. You know, we say we don't mean some of the things that we say. We say it because we go for that that f- laugh factor, right? We have said many times we're three people that are great friends who get together and and record a conversation about Las Vegas. And the fact that other people actually want to listen to that conversation amongst these three friends is just the the, the icing on the cake. <laughs> Love it. All right, Tony, I can't wait to meet you in real life. I'm sure it'll happen one of these days in Vegas. And uh, thanks again. Thanks for having me, Graham. And it is going to happen in Vegas. I'm very excited to say that I will be back in Las Vegas in June, specifically to attend an event. This is the 
360 Vegas Vacation 11, an event organized by Tony and Karen and Mark from the 360 Vegas podcast. I will put a link to that event in the show notes for today's episode. And if you're craving a trip to Vegas in June, well, think about joining us for Vegas Vacation. It's going to be a lot of fun. My thanks to Tony, to Karen, to Penny from Lotus of Siam, and to my wife, B for being on today's show. That was a really, really great time. Thank you for being here, too. I really do appreciate you spending some time with Cheftimony. If you're enjoying the show, please tell a food-loving friend about it, and please rate, review, and subscribe to Cheftimony so that you will always receive the latest episode. Also, if you've got a question or a comment for the show, perhaps a guest idea or a topic suggestion, please get in touch with me directly. You can do that on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, all at Cheftimony. On LinkedIn, you can find me under my name, Graham McLennan, or just send me an email, and those go to graham at Cheftimony.com. All right, that is all for today. Thanks again for being here. I'm Graham McLennan, and I will see you again soon, right here on Cheftimony. You didn't record all of that. I did not record Sorry, all of that. Sorry, I started asking. I know, I just couldn't wait. I just started <laughs> asking questions. <laughs> 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 <laughs>